little bit now and then, but God doesn't want us to be consumed or defeated by it. And today we'll begin to learn how. Here's Pastor David. We've been in this series called Right Side Up. As most of you know, we have been going through Jesus Christ's Sermon on the Mount. We have been learning what it looks like to live the Christ life, the kingdom life, the right side up life, the kingdom of God. What does that look like? How do people who are part of the kingdom of God live? And so we call the series Right Side Up because the world and culture at the time that Jesus was teaching and the world and culture now are upside down in comparison to the kingdom life, the truth, the way, the truth, of life, Jesus Christ. Our world and our culture are totally upside down. And so Jesus is showing us how to live right side up. That's what he's doing in this passage. And so we're in chapter 6 of Matthew. If you have your Bibles, which I recommend you bring these, because here at Acts Church, we study the Bible. We read a lot of the Bible during these services, so it's good to have one with you. I know not everybody does paper anymore. If you do, great. If you want it on your phone, of course, we throw it up on the screen, but I really do encourage you to, to bring your Bible. Um, we're going to be in chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 25, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter, okay? So here we go. Matthew six twenty-five. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field. How they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Okay. As usual, when we get into scripture, there's a lot going on here. A lot going on here in this passage. We're going to begin studying this passage at the beginning, which I usually think is a good place to start. And the first word of this passage is the word, therefore. Therefore. It's the first word in there. Now, I know sometimes we love, you know, witty like quips and, and pithy sayings. I, I love them as much as anyone else. A good, you know, Mark Twain quote or something that, that just really hits the spot and it's, it's somewhat profound and it's kind of funny and it, or whatever it is, whatever it happens to be, but it's, it's short, right? And they can have deep truths in them, but normally speaking, those truths are much wider and deeper and there's a lot more to them than just what's in the pithy saying. Now, I think that we like Bible verses for the same reason. I think that we like Bible verses because they can be kind of quick-hitting passages, they're relatively easy to remember, and they can fit on a t-shirt or a sign or a coffee mug, and boom, there's your piece of truth. And, and there's nothing wrong with that, by the way. Bible verses are great. They're scripture. They're, they're awesome. Uh, but 
there's a lot more going on with any verse than just the verse itself. It takes more than a single verse to understand the length and the breadth and the depth of the scriptures and the amazing blessing of what God has revealed to us in truth in scripture. There's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. It takes study and it takes context. Okay? You have to understand what is being said in the context of the passage and the, and the teaching that you're reading, also in the context of the greater book that you're in, or the greater part of the teaching you're reading, and in the context of the entire testimony of the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. And if you don't understand that, you won't understand what's going on with that verse. The verse by itself, without the rest of it, isn't going to give you what you need, okay? So, if you don't, uh, I, I said this in the first service, and I'll, I'll tell you guys too. If you don't quite see what I'm saying, let me give you an example. The very next verse from the last one that we read is probably the most popular verse in Western culture right now, okay? It's Matthew 7, 1, and it says, judge not that you be not judged, okay? Probably the most popular verse. If you take that verse out and stick it on a bumper sticker, I think most people don't understand what it really means. You think so? It is extremely contextually based. You have to understand, with that particular one, you have to understand the verse, you have to understand the context of where it comes, you have to understand the language of Greek, and just like us, they use the word judge in different ways. Lord willing, that'll be the next thing that we hit, so don't miss that, uh, the next thing that we hit in this series. But uh, it's just to, to show you that verses need context. They need context. And Jesus starts with the word, therefore, therefore. He uses that word for a reason, or else he just would have started with, I say to you, and then gone on. He says, therefore, for a reason, for a reason. A lot of teachers of the Bible will tell you that when you see the word therefore, you need to figure out what the therefore is there for, okay? That's what they say, and they're not wrong. They're not wrong. You do need to know what the therefore is there for. What you're seeing when you see a word therefore is a conclusion to an argument, to an argument. I know when I say an argument, uh, it makes a lot of us think arguing, like what you do with your brother-in-law at the Thanksgiving table, which you should stop doing that. It's really annoying to everybody. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about here. An argument of the type Jesus is making is they're found all over in the Bible, and they're not about arguing. They're about reasoning. Arguments are ways that we reason, that we reason, okay? So God gave us minds, and our minds are able to take in what we would call propositional truth, which just means truth statements. If I say, my car is black, that's a propositional truth statement. Okay? We take those kinds of things in all the time. And the way that we understand them to be true is through the kind of arguing that we're talking about here. So the definition of argument, be up on the screen here, is, is this. This is off of Google also. An exchange of diverging or opposite views, typically a heated or angry one. Now that's the first one. That's the one you have with your brother-in-law. I've had an argument with my father, it says. I, I never do that, but I'm sure some of you do. <laughs> I do sometimes. Um, the number two is the one we're talking about. A reason or set of reasons given with the aim of persuading others that an action or idea is right or wrong or true or false, I would add to Google's thing. I'll submit that later. But that's what it is, okay? It's, it's a, a set of reasons, uh, of reasoning that says, here's why we believe something. Now, as a philosophy major and an attorney, I'm very familiar with both kinds of arguing, okay? 
And I absolutely adore the second kind. I love a good argument. I love good reasoning. And you ought to, too, because it's all through the Scripture, and it's how we come to know truth. It's how we come to know truth. Now, here's an example uh, of the second kind of argument. Okay, remember, an argument's going to have premises. This is true. This is true. Therefore, this conclusion. Okay, so I'm going to give you an example. Uh, Whatever begins to exist, this is called the Kalam cosmological argument, by the way. Whatever begins to exist has a cause of its beginning. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has a cause of its beginning. See how that works? This is true, this is true, and if these two are true, therefore, this is true. But a lot of them are much more complicated where they're going to have several premises leading to a conclusion, which is also a premise leading to the next conclusion and so on. And they can be complicated and long. The book of Romans is like this. And the Sermon on the Mount is like this. Okay, It's a long argument. It's a compelling argument of truth that Jesus uses and weaves through the whole time. He's very, very smart. He knows what he's doing. You'll see themes repeating. You'll see premises that lead to conclusions. Those conclusions starting as premises leading to the next conclusion and so on. And so in order to understand the Sermon on the Mount, which is an example of a complicated argument, it takes some work and some study or else you're just left with a verse by itself here and a verse by itself there, which isn't bad, but you're not going to fully understand it. You're not going to fully understand. So what is the therefore, therefore, in this section? Let's look at it. In order to do that, we've got to start by, if it's an argument, we know therefore means we're talking about what comes before it. And so I'm going to go to the last therefore, okay? The ending of the last argument that is also the first premise to the argument that's, that's concluding in this section that we're reading, okay? And that's in, in, in the same chapter in verse 8, okay? About 20 verses earlier, a little less than that. Yeah, verse 8, it says this, Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Okay? That was the end of an argument. Now, he was responding to a theme that we see multiple times in the Sermon on the Mount, and it's a theme that we named this series for. Okay? He's talking about responding to the fact that the pagans, the idol worshipers, and the heathens of the day pray with lots of meaningless words. And he's saying, therefore, don't be like them. That was their culture. Don't be like them. We are right side up, not upside down like them. He was reminding us that Christ's followers are different. And this, therefore, this conclusion is also a premise starting the next section that leads to the therefore that we're in today. I know this is a little bit confusing, but just try to stay with me. I know I talk a little fast. So I'm going to give you a quick summary of the argument that's, and it's not everything. There's more to it. There's only so much we can do on Sunday mornings. We'd have to get into this more at life group, something like that. But I'm going to give you a quick summary of where we are. Here's the argument. It starts with the, technically it starts at the very beginning and there's all that we do. But it starts with, this, this particular part starts with the last therefore, which we just read to you, which is, for your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Okay, that's our first premise. The Father knows the things we need before we ask him. Then we get into the next section, which is verses 9 through 15, where it talks about praying and how to pray. And a couple of things we specifically pray for is that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we pray for our daily bread. We also pray for things like giving God glory for who he is and so on. So we're talking about the character of God. We're talking about what we're supposed to be looking for, which is our daily bread, and that God's will will be done. The next section is about fasting, and at the end of that section, verses 16 through 18, it ends with, and God will reward 
right? If you do this the correct way, you will be rewarded, which is part of a theme. That's part of the argument going up earlier also. The next one talks about, this is verses 19 through 21. We're to be focused on treasures in heaven, not on earth, because our heart will be where our treasure is. Okay, these are, that's, that's premise number four. Premise number five, you should have a good eye and be satisfied with what the Lord provides without worrying about what other people get. That's verses 22 and 23. You may remember that sermon. And this is another point here before I get to the rest of this. If you don't come to church every week and get the teachings, it's very, very hard to understand a complicated thing like Scripture. Scripture's not easy. People who are like, oh, well, if God wanted us to know something, he'd make it super easy. No, he wouldn't. That's ridiculous. He gave you a brain. He expects you to use it. It's not, it this is not just spoon-feeding stuff. Scripture's hard. It takes study. You want to understand the deep things of the Lord? You're going to have to study, okay? So if you miss Sundays, then you miss some of these things, for, and you don't understand. For instance, the one about the, the evil eye. If you just read that passage and didn't have the sermon on it, or we talked about it in the context and whatever, then you might not understand this. Anyway, that's just a plug for be at church every Sunday. Next one. Right before this, therefore, it's you cannot serve God in money. Okay? You cannot serve God in money. You've got to pick where your loyalty is. So these are the premises. And they end, this, 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 therefore, I say to you, do not worry. All of these lead to, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. And do you see the argument that he's making, the things that he's telling you are true about who God is? about who the Father is, about his character, about who you are, about what you should expect, about where your heart should be. And because of all that, you ought not to worry. That's where this thing starts, okay? He's not just saying, don't worry out of nowhere. It's like, hey, don't worry. Like, well, why wouldn't I worry? Well, because of all these things that I've already told you. I've already told you, okay? Already what he's revealed in this and the whole thing and then the whole scripture. Okay. He's told us we're children of the Father, right? This is, this is a consistent thing. Kingdom of God. You're part of the kingdom of God. We're Christ followers. We live right side up, not upside down like the unbelievers. He's telling us who he is, who God is, what we can expect from him, where our hearts should be, and if our hearts are where they ought to be, we will not need to worry. That's what he's telling us. There are actually... Two more therefores, just in the section that we read. And they're all related to this therefore and all connected back to the whole thing. So we're going to get into it a little bit. We're going to walk through it, okay? So let's go back to verse 25. It says this, therefore, so all those premises came and then therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? He's making a certain kind of argument, okay? There's a Latin term for it. It's called a fortiori or a fortiori argument. There's nobody knows how to pronounce Latin. So if somebody's always pronouncing it like that's the way you pronounce it, they're lying to you. Nobody knows how to pronounce Latin. It's a dead language, okay? So when I say something, you're like, that doesn't sound right. I've heard somebody say it differently. We're both wrong, probably, okay? <laughs> all right, so a fortiori argument. What that means is all the more so. If this is true, then this is true all the more so. So he uses that kind of that style of argumentation in this section. He's saying, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about your body, okay? Are life and body more important than food, drink, and clothes? Yes. 
So don't worry about these things. These are more important than those things. And God obviously knows that you need life and you need body. He gave you a life and he gave you body. Is he not all the more so going to make sure that your body has clothes on it and that you have food to eat and, and something to drink? Of course he is. So that's where he's going with this. Then he uses an example. Look at the birds of the air. For they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And here's the a 4 word again. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So he's, so he's saying, okay, here, here are the birds. Birds of the air. They're normally kind of chirpy. Like, do-do-do-do-do. You've seen Snow White or whatever, and they do. They're, they're happy, Okay. Birds are generally chilling, and yet they have to depend every day that there's going to be worms in the ground or whatever nasty stuff they eat, right? And they, they fly down, and they chirp along, and they eat their worms, and they go on. Now, if God cares about birds, and birds are less important, vastly, unbelievably less important than humans, don't, talk, don't email me vegans, okay? <laughs> birds are not as important as people, okay? You're not going to convince me otherwise. Birds are not as important as people, and that's what God's saying here. Birds are not as important, and if God takes care of them, a fortiori, how much more so will he take care of you? That's the argument that's being made here. That's the truth claim that God, that Jesus is giving us. And he says, by worrying, can you add one cubit to your stature? Some of your translations may say an hour to your life. The, actually, the word for height or stature and life are the same word in Greek, and so you see different translations handling that differently. The point is, you can't do anything by worry. You are going to make things happen by worrying. It's not going to make it any better, so you are wasting your time and energy. Okay, next. He says, so why do you worry about clothing? Then he gives us another example. Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Back in the day, before we could go to Walmart and buy clothes, before you could do that, you had to spin and make cloth and make clothes, okay? And he's saying the lilies of the field, they don't toil, they don't spin, they're just sitting there growing, man, they're just doing their thing, God's just growing them. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Solomon was really rich, probably the richest man that ever lived, and you know he had dope clothes. He was, he was looking good. Whatever could be done, clothing-wise, Solomon had it. So when he was arrayed, all made up for whatever, this guy was legit. And he's saying that even Solomon and all that is not as beautiful as what I just do with the lilies of the field. No, one, no one's clothes are more beautiful than, than nature in its finest. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven... Will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you of little faith? A fortiori. If he's going to take the grass, today, here they are. Tomorrow the sun comes up, they get kind of scorched, they, they dry up. Somebody comes and grabs them all and tosses them in the oven so they can bake their bread that night. They are, relative to you, worthless. They don't last long. They're just flowers. You, on the other hand, were made specially and purposefully in the image and likeness of God to live eternally. Grass is around for a day or two and then it's thrown in the fire. If he'll do all that for flowers, how much more so will he make sure you're doing okay? And you have the clothes that you need. And he says, oh, you of little faith. 
He's taking faith and putting it right smack in the middle of this. If you worry, it is a lack of faith. You don't believe either that you're more important than birds and flowers, which you are, and you ought to believe. Or you don't believe for some reason that God is going to come through for you and that he cares more about you than these other things and will make sure that you're going to be okay. It's a faith issue. Now, if worry is something that has a stranglehold on your life, let me encourage you to listen to our Contemplate episodes number 38 through 41 on anxiety. They're powerful and really can change your life. And if you need help, please call us at 360-885-9000. We'd love to point you to Jesus and help you find peace. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you again next time for part two here on Contemplate.